Yo, yo. So this episode, I sit down with my boy, Bitcoin Q&A. Uh, we talk about wallets, Bitcoin nodes, um, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone when it comes to maybe doing something technical, uh, educating yourself as a Bitcoiner, educating other Bitcoiners, and inspiration. It's a great rip. Um, at the very end, you'll notice we get kind of cut off. Uh, Q&A got disconnected from our recording. And then we tried to spin it back up for about 10 minutes afterwards. Really, really didn't, nothing great came out of it. So we ended up just calling it there. Um, so that's why it cuts off at the very end. And then lastly, how are you guys stacking your sets? If you're not doing it with Swan, you're doing it wrong. So go to swanbitcoin.com slash Kaz and get started stacking sats. Everybody, welcome back to Down the Rabbit Hole. The current price of Bitcoin at an all-time high is $57,446. And I am joined today by my boy, Bitcoin Q&A. What's up, man? How's it going, Kaz? It's a pleasure to be on, man. I've been looking forward to this one since we uh, since we set the date. There's some uh, hot topics that I'm looking forward to hearing, really. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it myself for the sake of brevity should i just call you q throughout the duration uh, of the show or q a is fine q a what cool. most people tend to go with yeah yeah bitcoin q a is a bit of a gobble isn't it really <laughs> yeah so dude it's hard not to be it just it bullish as fuck right now come on every single day i just feel like i'm getting more and more bullish and more and more people keep reaching out and they need to start learning about wallets and nodes and the best practices which you've built some of the best resources in the community i truly i have to give you that like you have <laughs> i saw him did you see the meme the other day that was like the wall street journal meme that had oh, your name fuck, you that made me laugh yeah <laughs> it was yeah. so funny it was like the team of 20 people bitcoin q and a <laughs> it's yeah, insane that, yeah. how, how much you put out though it's it's great I think there's an old cliche saying that goes something like, when you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And Bitcoin's not, not my job as much as I'd love it to be, but it just sucks you in, doesn't it? And every minute that I spend either trying to teach myself something new or, or writing a guide so I can teach or help teach other people to download that wallet or to take the next step in their privacy and stuff like that, it's just, it's like the thrill of the chase, really. And when you when I, when I finally put it out there and you get people, DMing saying, dude, that really helped this. Yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, your guides are great for any Bitcoiner, no matter if they're just now learning about what a wallet is and how to take self-custody or they're an experienced Bitcoiner who, like myself, who I had, I just never used Android. So I finally set up like an Android phone. You know, I'm using running Graphene OS. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to play with Whirlpool and use Samurai. So I, I went to your guide was the first place I went. You should always be upgrading these things. And like I said, there's still people I know that are in the Bitcoin that their mobile wallet doesn't support like Vetch32 addresses. And it's like, you, why are you still using that? You need to upgrade and you need to be like on top of this stuff. I think we yeah. can just start there. Like just why should somebody value like their privacy. How can you look at what's happening right now in the world and not be thinking about privacy? Yeah, I, I think it starts with, uh, it comes from a place of complacency, doesn't it? Society is increasingly being bred to to just be complacent, to play by the rules, eat the bugs, live in your pod. Uh, and, and that's probably a fallout from the propaganda that comes out from mainstream media. I'm talking on a macro scale here, but why should somebody care about their privacy? Again, it's a bit of a cliche one, but it really hit home with me before I started going down the privacy, down the privacy rabbit hole was somebody, I saw somebody say on Twitter, why do you shut your curtains at night? Or why do you have blinds on your window? And it just made me think it's a case of, I'm not doing anything illegal in my house, but it, I just do it because I don't want somebody who's walking down the street past my house to know 
what I'm up to at home, even if it is just sitting in front of sitting on the couch watching Netflix. It's it, it, it's a sort of a, a human really to have that right to privacy, and I think the way that the world is going at the moment with big tech companies, everything that we do is online. It's it get, it's becoming increasingly difficult. The default is zero privacy. The bank knows all your transactions. Google knows everything that you search for. Twitter knows who you follow. Everything that we do is out in the open. So I, I think to tie that back into Bitcoin a little bit, with, with great power comes re- great responsibility and th- there's no bail- bailouts in Bitcoin. Taking your privacy seriously when you're managing your life savings potentially from your house or from various locations if you use multisig is it's a big responsibility and I think privacy ties into that sort of security. They, they come hand in hand really. If you're private in the way that you interact with Bitcoin and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into the sort of into the weeds of that later on. The less people that know the fact that you have Bitcoin even if it's a small bit that sort of goes hand in hand with the security how can I put it it's, it's level one of security really the less people that know that you own Bitcoin it is a level up for you from a security standpoint. Absolutely that was a huge consideration I had to take into account when I started this podcast because I actually got into Bitcoin through an interest in like privacy and security when I was younger. And I was like, man, I'm, I've been a NIM this entire time, but I want to break out into this community. I was like, should I use my real name or should I stay a NIM? Or so it's very important. And so let's start maybe with the sovereign swaps. Yeah. I love okay, this side, so- by the way. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, a, a bit of, I like putting together infographics because I feel like they, they can convey a lot of information in a very short space of time, but they're easily shareable. You can just swipe this a single page in front of somebody's nose and if you make it look good, which I always try and do, it, it grabs their attention uh, and they're going to go, oh, okay, what does this mean? You know, the, oh, it's broken down into different sections. So for anybody that's listening and hasn't seen it, it's basically a PDF document where I've given people some options on how they can swap out or, or start to use different uh, pieces of software to increase their privacy and or their sovereignty. Bitcoin is, the Bitcoin ecosystem is built upon open source software. Just to, to break down why open source is important, again, we're talking about people's life savings here. People are taking control of, of their money. They're not relying on banks. They're not relying on any third parties. When we're using wallet software or hardware, we want to be able to be sure we know what's going on under the hood. Now, most people aren't going to be able to download a piece of software and inspect the code and go, yep, yeah, that looks good. And, and I'm one of those people. I, I might seem more technical than the average Bitcoiner, but I wouldn't have a clue how to interrogate the code of, say, Samurai Wallet to know whether it's going to steal my funds or not. But the, the whole point of open source is that I'm safe in the knowledge that there are people out there that can look at the code. And that if they were to look at the, sorry, when they look at the code, if there was something malicious in there, then they would be raising a, a red flag straight away. So it's a case of more eyes on the code. It keeps everybody open and honest. So to tie that back into, you know, the sovereign swaps piece that I've I've put out is basically, I'm saying on the left-hand side of the box, yeah, here are what you are probably likely using at the moment. So for example, what we got, Gmail, perfect one. Gmail is, is, if you're using Gmail, it's likely, it's not likely. They are reading, they see every piece of, of traffic that goes through their servers. If you're, say, I'll again tie that back into Bitcoin. If you're using a SAT stacking service that emails you every time you buy and that's landing straight into your, you know, they're, they're giving you a notification to say, yep, your weekly buys just come in. You've got a million SATs. Congratulations. You can rest assured that whoever's the people behind the Google service are also seeing that um, and what they're doing with that data from then on. Your guess is as good as mine. I'll tie that, you know, into that. Gmail example, one of the swaps would be to, to take an open source alternative like ProtonMail or Tutanota. I personally use both. As I say, both open source pieces of software that anybody able to can scrutinize the code and know that it's not sending your your email content to somebody other than you or the intended recipient. And there's probably 15 or 20 or so on there. I don't know if you want to dive into any of the specifics on, on no, that. No, no, I think... I, th- I think we're okay. I think it's more of just to introduce people to this concept. You gave the description. I'm going to throw it in the show notes. 
and just use it as a jumping off point. But what I'd really like to get into today is more wallets and running nodes and things like that. So maybe we want to start the conversation at wallets. Yeah, okay. So step step one for being a, a slightly more private Bitcoiner would be, we've all heard the saying, not your keys, not your coins. And again, just quickly break that down for anybody who's not familiar. If you're not in control of your Bitcoin private keys, somebody else is, and that means that you are not in control of your own Bitcoin. So step one for anybody who wants to take their privacy a little bit more seriously is to hold their own keys. So that for most newcomers who aren't going to be shelling out, nobody's going to, especially at today's prices, not many people are going to be coming in and buying a full coin and having a significant amount of wealth to look after. So most people are going to come in, they're going to buy a little bit, maybe on Cash App or, or something like that. And they're going to want to withdraw that to a mobile wallet. Two of my personal favorites are my, my absolute favorite Samurai wallet. We can get into the, the weeds of you know why it's the best if you'd like to. That's Android only, unfortunately. And if you're an iOS user, which I'd urge you not to be, going back to the free open source software piece, is Blue Wallet's another great option, obviously open source. They've recently introduced Coin Control as well, which is a Bitcoin privacy preserving tool basically that allows you to not merge your utxos and i can get into why that's important if you'd like and let's go as deep as you want all right i didn't want to get too much into the weeds too quickly but here we go so why coin control this is bitcoin privacy one of the the, the the key things for bitcoin privacy is coin control or the ability to to control the specific pieces of Bitcoin that are in your wallet. So if you've made a, a load of transactions in and out, your wallet's going to have, uh, it's going to use multiple addresses and it's going to have loads of different chunks of Bitcoin. What you will see as an end user is a total balance, which is which is a good thing for nobody wants to see, have to check each different address to to work out how many, how many sats they've got, do they? So the, as a user, you'll see the total balance. If you're having a wallet with uh, coin control, what that allows you to do basically is, is when you're making a transaction, you can specify which of those pieces that you want to spend. So why would that be important? So I'll use an example of, let's say, Kaz, you, you wanted to spend to a darknet market. You wanted to go and buy some drugs online, which is illegal, by the way. So let's say you, <laughs> we're not you, advising you, had a, you to do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. But just using it as an example, let's say you've got a chunk of one Bitcoin. You've got one big chunk of Bitcoin. Uh, you spend a small amount to this darknet market and then you get some change back from that darknet market. And then the following day, you want to go and give your grand some Bitcoin as a to try an orange pillar. Hypothetically speaking, if you weren't controlling which pieces of Bitcoin you did both of those transactions from, and you just let the wallet select for you, they might merge, uh, say the change from the darknet market uh, store with another UTXO that you're giving to your gran. And if she had the capability to go and look on the blockchain, she might be able to tie those piece, those two UTXOs together and know that, you that your previous transaction was to buy weed on, on uh, the Silk Road or something like that. Now, obviously, your grand's not going to be able to do that, but there are many chain surveillance firms that do carry out practices exactly looking at transactions like this to try and cluster addresses together, to try and gain a picture of who's doing what on chain. Because, you know, as we all know, it's one of the first things you learn about Bitcoin. Everybody thinks it's anonymous when, when in, in actual fact, it's pseudonymous. Yeah. So uh, the, one of the problems with that pseudonymous pseudonymity is I think it lulls people into a false sense of security in the fact that they think that once they're in that's it that everything that they do is completely masked because there's no names on the blockchain but your spending habits coupled with the way that you purchase Bitcoin can leak a hell of a lot of information and I think because that's quite a technical thing to understand most people most people find it difficult to grasp but i think from a practical perspective simply just using coin control or using a wallet that enables you to use coin control coupled with using effective labels so that say you paid me Kaz, when you sent me uh, 100,000 sats i could write a label on that to say that was from Kaz. now when i'm making a future spend i could check the labels from my other pieces of bitcoin uh, and decide which ones of those do I want to merge with the sats that Kaz, that Kaz sent me? Because I might only want to be able to selectively reveal 
some of my Bitcoin history, if you like, when I spend, because like I say, what, which address you sent to of mine. So it gives you the ability to, to selectively reveal information about your sort of Bitcoin identity, if you like. I hope that made sense. Yeah. So would you say when you're evaluating which wallet to choose or recommend to other people, that's the first thing you think about? It's a wallet that supports coin control? Or would you say it's just one of the features that you would say that needs to be present in your wallet? Definitely one that needs to be present. Some of the other things that I would look for, trying to keep my, my sort of newbie head on, would be probably Tor. You've got a wallet that, that connects to your node or, or whoever's node is backing that wallet. And I'll get into that in a sec. Just having that protection of the Tor network that anonymizes your traffic basically means that you're not leaking your uh, IP address with the wallet provider. That's another big selling point for me and, and a big win for privacy because obviously IP addresses can be tied to your real identity, especially if you're connected from your home. They would instantly be able to see that IP and say the wallet provider wouldn't be able to tie that IP address. They could link up with your internet provider who does who knows exactly who you are. Again, a lot of this is ifs and buts, but it's a case of protecting yourself uh, and protecting your wealth. And the, the third thing that I would look for in a wallet would be the ability to connect to your own node. Now, completely understand that most newcomers aren't going to come in with the either the desire or the knowledge to want to connect to their own node. One thing that I would urge people who don't connect to their own node currently that have got their, their control on their own keys would be to ask themselves, when you're sending that transaction or when you're receiving that transaction, just think about how is that getting to you? Whose node knows about your transaction because to receive or send a transaction it has to go through somebody's node and if it's not your node it's somebody else's you know if you if, just think about the threat model of when i downloaded my wallet did i connect to it at home do they know my ip address did i give any personal information no there are still wallets out there that ask for email addresses or even names and addresses which i find a bit bizarre but yeah if, if you're not connected you're not transacting through your own node. You are transacting through somebody else's, which is basically leaking all of your transactional data because there is somebody else out there other than the person who you're transacting with that knows what address you're receiving to, what address you're sending to, exactly how much you've sending and receiving. Yeah, so it's it might seem like a big step for newcomers, and it is. Don't get me wrong, I run multiple nodes now. In two years ago, just a little over two years ago, I thought a Raspberry Pi was something that you had after your dinner. It's it, a learning curve. It, it's quite steep on the node front. There there are uh, a lot of projects out there now that are credit to the teams. They're doing a fantastic job of just making this stuff really uh, approachable um, and, it's, and a lot it's more It's really palatable. fantastic. It's really fantastic. Like the uh, the full node software that has developed, like the wars that have ha that have developed over the last like year. It's they're forced to compete with each other. And it's just, there's so many great products out there right now to make it easier for somebody to run a full node. Like I have a couple of my friends now using Umbral. You just pull it out and it's pretty much almost out of the box. Like not that hard to use. I think the more difficult piece is pitching the value of why somebody should be running a full node. Like to somebody that's new to Bitcoin that they don't fully grasp all these concepts yet, but it's, this is how you interact with Bitcoin and this is how you remove the, the aspect of trust. So it's in, the whole reason that you should be moving to Bitcoin is like not to be trusting a counterparty. And so by running your, you know, running your transactions through somebody else's node, that's not your own. You're relying on, you're giving up all your personal data, which is just not where you should be. So it's antithetical to Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to use the analogy to, to somebody who's really new to this to say, look, imagine um, you're going up to a bank to make a bank transfer. You're going to do it in the, in, in the actual bank itself. And just before you go through the door, you take out a megaphone and then you, you tell everybody on the street, who you're sending it to, how much you're sending. Would you do that? No, of course, nobody's going to do that. And I, I think that's worked for a few of my uh, friends to make them think, oh, okay. So that's like the equivalent of, of if I'm not transacting through my own node, then I'm telling somebody else what I'm doing. And it seems to hit home a little bit. What do you think the future is going to look like where you have uh, semi-trusted actors that you broadcast through their node? What if my grandma wants to run through my node she's she doesn't 
want to trust somebody else. She doesn't want to run her own, but she trusts me enough to run through my note. Uncle Jim model, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it's about trade-offs. I, I'm under no illusion that not everybody's going to run a node as easy as it is getting. Like Your perfect example, your grandma, if she, if she was to get into Bitcoin, she's not even going to know what a node is or, or even be bothered about that. And I think that's okay. And I think we've we failed if running a node is, a, is an absolute necessity for everybody in Bitcoin. But when you break it down in terms of if it's a choice between your grandma downloading, say, Blue Wallet, and I'm not saying Blue Wallet and bad actors or anything like that, but they, by default, they connect to public Electrum servers. And so if it's a choice between her connecting to a public Electrum server, who we have absolutely zero clue who's running that Electrum server, it could be anybody versus her connecting to your Electrum server that you run on your umbrella or whatever node software that you've got. That's a massive improvement, isn't it? And, and I think the, these these node software uh, are get, getting a lot easier in terms of they're offering QR code scanning now to, to make connection easier. So it would be as simple as you, you or her coming around to your house, scanning a QR code, or you just sharing that with her and she's connected. Yes, she's sharing information, but she's sharing it with you, a grandson who I would like to think that she trusts a little bit more than public electrum server who we have no clue who's running it absolutely i like that federated model i hope more people start using that because that's like you said it's just a, a huge improvement compared to using just a public server somewhere but hmm. so what's on your radar right now so what's what's the newest what are you working on and i I've i feel been... like you keep up to date with it's just insane <laughs> with just what you keep up to date with. So what's, I like to just ask the question and start there. Yeah, I've been bitten big time by the open source slash self-hosting uh, bug at the moment. It, it's, that's a big, big rabbit hole that's bitten me really hard. So I've recently started and, and you, we can, I can blame Catan for this. I presume Catan from the Ministry of Nodes guys. He's obviously a, a massive advocate for for self hosting. So I, I I talk to him pretty much every day at the moment, and and I, I'm the one that's asking him all the dumb questions in the background. But I've I've recently started. I've took that first step towards self hosting. So I've started to migrate all of my websites over to i've got one on a virtual private server which is like the clearnet version so if you just go to bitcoiner.guide that'll take you to a, a virtual private server that i've set up because previously i was using wix which is a very uh, new user-friendly uh, website builder that that makes it makes building a website really easy and when i started building my first website bitcoinqna.com back in this Pretty much this time last year, I had no web development experience whatsoever. I didn't know any anything else. So I, I literally just went onto Google and searched for how do I build a website? Wix was one of the ones that popped up first. And it's literally like a, a drag and drop uh, website builder that you just throw your content in. It makes you, it allows you to build a semi-decent looking website with little to no technical skill whatsoever. They, they, they take away all of the difficult stuff, hide it in the background and give you like a shiny graphical user interface to build a website. So I used that and I, I built my, the first website on there. And then as I started going down the privacy rabbit hole and the sort of self-sovereign rabbit hole, it occurred to me that I spent days and days putting together the content on this website and, and I didn't really own any of it. Wix, if they want, if they disagreed with what was on that website, they could de-platform me in, in a second and that scared the shit out of me. So I looked for, for alternatives then and obviously Bitcoin, most Bitcoin software, if you actually want to look at the software or if you want to uh, look at the code and or even contribute to it, pretty much everybody's on GitHub. And it turns out you can build websites on GitHub. So most of the subsequent websites that I built were all on GitHub, which gave me a lot more freedom. It meant that it was out in the open. Anybody can help and contribute and loads of people have, which is fantastic. And I'm thankful for that. And it also gave me the ability to download local copies of all of my content so that if GitHub did because they hosted the website as well as allowed me to build it. If they started deplatforming people, yes, they could take my website offline. Nobody would be able to visit it, but all of the content, I've got a local copy of that. So I could effectively just pop up somewhere else. But I still wasn't really comfortable with that that 
model really so i've like say i've, I've recently moved it all all of that content that i've downloaded i've moved it onto a virtual private server which is basically it's still somebody else's computer but yeah it's, it's a step in the right direction in terms of being more in control of your content basically I'm, I, i've just rent some space on somebody's computer at the at the name cheap offices which paid for in bitcoin anonymously so like i say it's a step in the right direction and literally just this last week i actually got uh raspberry pi number five number five uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so i've got uh, a raspberry blitz an umbrella a ronin dojo i've got another ronin dojo which i use i help the team out with testing and stuff like that because i'm really good at breaking shit and then i bought number five this week and that's actually hosting the tour version of all of my content which i think yeah i was I, if you just saw my technical ability just over 12 months ago for me to have my own website hosted at home on the tour network on a computer that cost like $50 is I, I just keep looking at it thinking holy shit the last 12 months of my Bitcoin related work is sat on that Raspberry Pi and it anybody in the world can access it and so that's what I've been up to for the past yeah it took me a good few weeks to migrate all my stuff really and I, I just I, I, like I say I just I'm so over the moon with I just look at this Raspberry Pi and, and the, the more technical people listening to this are probably thinking that's the easiest thing in the world. But for me, from where I came from, I just think it's such a powerful thing that my my content can never be deplatformed now. Nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can, no matter how much they disagree with me, it's hosted on my own hardware and it's hosted at home. Nobody can access it except for me in terms of taking it offline, obviously. So yeah, really pleased with that. Something else I've been getting uh, involved in, and again, got Katan to thank for this, is we've you've probably seen on Bitcoin Twitter, everybody's when Mr. Trump was getting deplatformed, everybody was understandably unhappy. And I think stuff like that is going to continue. So there's been a big shift to, you touched on it earlier, to federated models of social media and chat app. I recently spun up my own Mastodon instance. Again, that's on a virtual private server just because of the increased traffic that it takes. So I've spun up my own Mastodon server, which for those that aren't or have never been on Mastodon, it's basically a, a clone of Twitter, but you can run your own instance of it, which... Um, basically means that you can't be you can't be deplatformed you can't be kicked off twitter uh, in, in the same way that you can as twitter if somebody uh, on mastodon disagrees with what i'm saying they might be able to block me from speaking to them but they can't kick me off the platform and which again I, i'm really hoping there's a big shift towards this sort of model because it's another term that's banding around so much in the bitcoin space is censorship resistance and i think this sort of model much bigger barriers barrier to entry don't get me wrong but if you i think it's a really powerful thing that if you're running your own your own version of your social media that you can then link to other people's version of their social media it just enables such more freedom of speech i've deleted a few tweets before now for fear of, of getting deleted them before i sent them that is for fear of getting banned for for having a disagreeable opinion which when you think for about sure. it, it it is is absolutely crazy really isn't it we shouldn't be afraid to say what we think for fear of being deplatformed and and these federated models like mastodon and there's a, there's also another one called matrix which i use the analogy that this is telegram it's a clone of Telegram, but you again, you can run your own instance, you can create your own chat rooms and interact with other people's instances in a way, again, like I say, that you can't be deplatformed. So I'm really hoping, I'm going to be putting some guides out on this year, I think, in the hope that I can push some more people to, to use these tools. But yeah, that's what I've been working on lately. And it's loosely linked to Bitcoin, but it's also just trying to make myself that little bit more self-sovereign, I think. Yeah, so this is another part of the rabbit hole of like truly becoming self-sovereign. So like self-hosting as part of it. I recently got a start nine, like the embassy. Oh, cool. I've been working on the transition to Bitwarden and self-hosting and, and all of that stuff. Really, so what's the really experience cool been stuff. like with the start nine? It's one of the ones I've not it's, tried yet. It's So I don't want to say too much on air, but I'm not super huge fan of it, to be honest. I will, I'm going to end up using it probably just for Bitwarden more than anything else. For a Bitcoin node, it's pretty bare. Like you're just running like Bitcoin Core. So compared to, comparing that to like my Raspi Blitz where I can run Spectre, I can do other things with it in a more simplistic way. 
then I'm sure I could rig it up to where I could I could do those things, but it's just not as out of the box and easy. That's Yeah, that was one of my first thoughts with the start and I know the ones like that, implementations like that, where in my eyes, the whole point of of like these plug and play nodes or these DIY nodes is that was your Bitcoin hardware. It didn't do anything else. It's It excels at running the Bitcoin code maybe running the lightning code as well it allows you to connect your wallets and it, it's a sandbox and it, it keeps away from all of the other attack vectors and and I, it was a bit of a i raised an eyebrow a little bit that when i saw that it was coming with like you say password managers and things like that and whilst mo- i think all of the stuff that's on the start nine and, and these other uh ones like that are open source i just it worries me a little bit that it's opening out that attack vector a little bit do you, know, do you get what i'm saying yeah, for sure. It's and it's like a maybe like putting too much in one place to you're putting like everything you're doing like it's your bitcoin node, it's your passwords, it's conversations. So it's if it goes down you and when you're self-hosting, you lose access to the internet like you can't really could do anything. So uh, oh yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I know I've just sung very highly of, of self-hosting, and it's a rabbit hole I'm continuing to go down. Don't get me wrong. I've had some banging my head off the desk moments, and like you say, it's. I, I said it earlier. With great power comes respect. Great responsibility. If your hardware fails, you can't just. It's not as simple as making another account. You've got to set up a whole new instance again. So it's there's definitely more self self responsibility, but you know th- th- that's why we're here, isn't it? We're, we're yeah, here. For... That's part of it, and it... that's the reason that you've gotten to the point that you've gotten to with your technical ability and your understanding of Bitcoin and all the different components around Bitcoin. Like your tweet thread for the last year of you just like every single day. <laughs> this is what I researched. This is the article I read. This is what I learned. That is just insane consistency. And and that's, that is like what Bitcoin demands. If you're truly going to learn about like the power of Bitcoin, you have to like up your game in terms of personal responsibility. And that requires learning about all these new things Uh, and staying up to date on them. Yeah. Which is tough, man. Fuck this place moves fast, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, I put out a tweet the other day talking because it's, clubhouse lately which i know you're gonna rip me for the privacy (laughs) (laughs) i've been on clubhouse it's just the people that talk about how long they've been in bitcoin and it's cool you bought bitcoin a couple years ago that doesn't mean anything like you probably are head and shoulders like knowledge above other people from just the what you've done in the last year so if you're not constantly like staying up on this stuff like you can't say like the like the experience you have or the credibility you have which nobody has credibility in this space is my argument but i just feel like it's important to you know continue learning about this thing definitely and, and uh, you it won't take a genius to look at my twitter feed and realize that i tend to focus on the actual use of bitcoin and the tools in and around it and and far less on uh, I like to summarize it as just all the hedge fund shit and all of the, the number go up stuff is great. And then, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't like it when I see number go up. Of course I do. Everybody does. <laughs> it, it, there's nothing better than checking your phone when you wake up in the morning, seeing that your your savings has increased in value. But I think that's just one, one facet of why I'm here and hopefully why everybody else is here. Because it, it, if you just come in and look at this from an investment strategy, sorry, from an investment standpoint, then that's the kind of like the, that's like step one. It's the reason yeah, I came in. Tip, I want tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. And I think when when you start to scratch the surface a little bit and see what's out there, I, I get people uh, DMing me from time to time saying, "What do you think about this coin?" Or "What do you think?" I've got like a standard answer back to them. I'm like, I cannot keep up with Bitcoin. I literally have. I don't have enough hours in the day to keep up with everything that's going on with Bitcoin. I, I definitely don't have enough time to look at whatever fucking coin you're trying to shill me on which is why again time is precious so that's why i make my guides as short and succinct as possible also coupled with the fact that my spelling and grammar are abysmal uh, and i'm not a great writer so the shorter i keep them the less room there is for for mistakes and i'm sure anybody that (laughs) that follows me on twitter will read that i think was he he fucking drunk when he there's so many times that i'll write a tweet and I'll, i'll actually proofread it and then send 
And then I'll read it back afterwards as soon as it hits the timeline. I'm thinking, fuck, how did I miss that? But anyway, yeah, that's why I'm trying to keep my guides really short to the point and, and actionable content because it, there's so much, all of these Bitcoin news outlets, I'll call them in inverted commas, with a few exceptions, of course. All they talk about is head funds, Michael Saylor, Elon Musk. I get it, it's exciting, but I try to try and come at it from the standpoint of this is a tool that you might find useful. Here's why it's useful. Here's how you can use it and here's what you can do with it. And, and I hope and pray that there's more of that coming out and guys like 6102 the, the boys at tftc the, the educational stuff is, is i wish i had that sort of stuff when i came first came in 2017 i'm sure it was out there it but it just got lost in the noise yeah it was sparse keep... to be honest yeah i think yeah tftc started in the very end of 2017 like before then there there's it was just hard to find the signal there was a lot of not a lot of good resources and good education and like the things like we're talking about like node softwares like none of that existed then definitely no resources around how to use and interact with them and like the best practices around them so this is why i'm so bullish on just bitcoiners people like yourself i don't even know your name and you put out some of the best resources around how to use bitcoin and there's a lot of people that do this. It's just, it's unstoppable. And when you like take a step back and think about it, and that all of the people I've just mentioned, that, and many more, including yourself, nobody's making any money doing this. Not many people are anyway. Yeah. They're all doing it for the love of the thing. And, and I, I think that says a lot about the space. And again, like you say, you don't know my name. I don't even know if Kaz is your real name. That doesn't mean that we can't make a great connection, which we already have, and share ideas and help others i think it just says a lot about the space that uh, the just the way that it draws people in it, it's i've never seen or experienced anything like it yeah and I, I go back to the clubhouse which i mentioned yeah it's it's horrible for privacy everybody in the world's listening to me i got that <laughs> i'm careful about what i say but regardless what i've seen from it is truly inspiring and i didn't like it at first and there's still times i get very annoyed with it because it's like dude, come on. You're like, you're just like, there's people that go on there and they just get a big head and it's all about themselves, which mm -hmm. is annoying. But genuinely, there are a large number of Bitcoiners on there every day, taking time out of their day to make a genuine connection and answer a question from somebody about Bitcoin all day long. Like you can go in there like three in the morning and there's somebody like that's within the Bitcoin Twitter circle that's on there, that's talking and answering questions for people all around the world. And I'm like, that is truly inspiring. And they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Like they're saying like, no, this is this is this the answer to your question. This is how you do this. And you don't have to be doing that. It's inspiring to watch. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, but you should probably stop using Clubhouse if you want to value privacy. I'm just, I would be, it'd be remiss of me not to pull you up on that. I know, I know. But I get it, I get it. A lot of people, it's the, the vent for them in terms of making connections and, and sharing ideas, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Man, okay. Let's go back to the node conversation. Okay. So wh wh what is he like your way of introducing somebody to a node? Do you recommend Umbral to start out with? Is that what you've been up to lately? Or because I think it's important to go back to to how are we pitching Bitcoin to, to new people like in every Bitcoiner can work on reframing their message and like how they're doing things and or how soon do you introduce people to hardware wallets and these different concepts? Or do you let people just figure it out? and then point them to resources like your guides or what is your strategy around that? Yeah, so first and foremost, that's th th this is one of the reasons why I built like the wallet guide, the node guide, and hopefully you can link them in the show notes later so people can find of them. Course. It, it, uh, it, 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 was, them. it came from a place of multiple DMs and people saying, oh, I heard you talk about nodes on the podcast. I wanna run one, which one shall I run? And And, that's not an easy question to answer. My first comeback to them is, okay, what do you need from a node? And most people go, I don't know. I just want to run one because you said it was a good idea. So I always go back to them, okay, so what wallets do you want to connect to it? Do you have a hardware wallet? Do you have a mobile wallet that needs to, that need, that will only speak to a certain type of node? Um, 
Do you need to use Lightning? Do you need to, what's your technical ability? Are you comfortable buying a Raspberry Pi and a hard drive and flashing an SD card? Or do you need that handholding of buying a pre-built box that you can literally just plug in, plug into your router and just hit a button and off you go. So it, there's a lot of questions that I try and eke out of people and, and that might seem like I'm overcomplicating it a little bit. But another thing that I always say to people is that if you go down the DIY route, the, they all run on Raspberry Pis, all, all of these implementations. If you try one and you don't like it, the absolute worst case scenario is you <laughs> reflash the SD card and you start again. It's a case of as long as you're comfortable in doing that step, you can try them all if you want to. And that's exactly what I've done pretty much. I'm, I'm slowly working my th- way through all of them. But it, to answer your initial question, yeah, I've got an umbrella. Yes, it's the easiest from a startup perspective that I've ever experienced. They, It's literally a case of you flash the SD card, you put the SD card into your Raspberry Pi, plug your hard drive in, plug it into your, into some power and a router. And I think there's some. it's something ridiculous, like two or three clicks and you're off and running. So that, that's probably the easiest way to get set up. I do have a bit of a worry about the implementations that try and package as much as they can in. So like the my nodes of the world, they don't get me wrong. I used to run a my node. It was the first node I ever ran and, it, and they made it easy. And that's what I'm sure is one of the things that, that helped me along my way in terms of self-sovereignty and privacy and stuff like that. But I just worry that when these implementations trying to try to package everything, things start to get a little bit flaky around upgrade time. And if you're not running the absolute tip top hardware, you might run into issues, which again, I did, I ran into issues myself, not just with minor, with most of the implementations, but that's fixing that, those sort of issues has, has given me, I learned along the way. And I'm a firm believer that one of the best ways to learn is to do, and again, it just ties back into my guides really. They're all geared around using the tools and practical advice, basically. So there's no easy answer to which node should I run. Um, it really comes down to what you need from one, what your experience is and, and what you want to get out of it. But I use the opportunity to shill as if you go to node.guide, uh, really proud of that domain, by the way. If you, go to, <laughs> if you go to node.guide, it, I've got a, a website there that details every, every popular implementation out there, be it DIY, plug and play, or even just Bitcoin Core. I've got them all listed there. You can have a run through. It's got all the gu- all the documentation linked, setup guides. So you can weigh up the options there if you want. But I would say just try it. You, what have you, you've got nothing to lose by just getting stuck in. Uh, and I promise you, you'll probably enjoy the process. Uh, you might bang your head off the keyboard a little bit, but you will definitely come out better for it at, at the end of the day. And when you, I sat down before this podcast, actually, to, to I made a little list of the, the tools that I use both in Bitcoin and around Bitcoin. And it, it's a powerful thing that most of these node implementations now, what they actually allow you to do. So when you think about it, most of them come, will allow you to run BTC pay server. So you can take donations or, or set up your own store and sell anything from your house on your own hardware in a matter of clicks. I think that's hugely powerful. You can on a website that you control that you run in your house. That exactly. You can shut down. Just, just think about that for one minute. Yeah. 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 There's no PayPal to shut you down. There's no intermediaries. Nobody's taking a cut. It's all open source. There's no, you can be sure that there's, or relatively sure there's no malicious software in there. And, and that's just, that for me, that's huge. Being able to do that in a matter of clicks. And, and I'm pretty sure every single implementation has BTC Pay Server built in now. They all come with a copy of mempool.space, which is a mempool visualizer so that you can check the fees before you make any transactions. You can also, they all come with an explorer built in which allows you to explore Bitcoin, exactly what it says on the tin. In terms of a practical application of that, the one I like to use is that if I was sending you some sats and I hit uh, hit send, I got my transaction ID, I can go and look at where that transaction is sitting in the mempool to see roughly how long it's going to be until it gets confirmed and you get your sats. But I'm doing that on a local copy on my own hardware, on my own software. I'm not leaking any privacy to anybody else. I'm only querying my own stuff, if you like. The converse to that is that, let's say I hit send again, got the transaction ID, and I went and put it into a website that provides this sort of information. So say boxstream.info. Go and put that transaction ID into blockstream.info. It'll give me all the information that I need. But if I'm doing that not through Tor, if I'm doing that connected to my home Wi-Fi, there's a potential threat, fa- threat 
vector there that Blockstream now knows that transaction ID is linked to my IP address and my IP address is linked to my name. So yeah, it's just terrible from privacy all around really. And when you think you've got this $50 computer sat next to your router at home that you can ask all these questions of it without relying on anybody else. Again, massively powerful. And, and the fact that they make it so easy just blows my mind every day. Sovereignty through technology. I Absolutely. love it. And, um, and this is... And, and we're, know, we're leaving off the most important part. <laughs> it allows you to run the numbers. The whole point of validate the supply of Bitcoin in existence. And the only way you can really truly trustlessly or in a trust minimized way do that is through running Bitcoin core on a node. Yeah, I would be remiss of me not to take another opportunity to shill. But if you go to verify.supply, I've got a guide to, that will show you how to do that. Just to break it down for people who don't really know what we're talking about. Every day we seem to be having news headlines around governments printing more and more money. And ultimately, nobody has a clue how many dollars there are or how many uh, pounds there are. The powerful thing about Bitcoin is that you or I or anybody with their own node can check that now, yesterday, tomorrow as often as they like to the exact Satoshi, they can run the numbers, like you say, they can check with their own copy of the blockchain exactly how many Bitcoins are in existence right now. And they can check that again in five minutes, in five hours, whenever they like. Um, and they can be sure that there is no inflation bug. There's nobody printing Bitcoin on the sly. And that nobody's ever been able to do that. You can't even do that with gold. So to be able to do that on a $50 computer sat in your sweatpants at home is, is again, mind-blowing. It's huge. And I don't know about you, but I do it from time to time and just sit there and smile to myself. <laughs> of course, it's empowering. It's There's no market in the world that it's existed that we could do something like this with. And it's just, it's the first time you do it when you actually set up a node. It's I compare it to the first time you send a Bitcoin transaction. Like, the first time you buy Bitcoin, you take it off of the exchange, you put it in a wallet you control, like you're like, whoa, okay, this is different. This is different than buying a stock. Like this is fundamentally different. And running the numbers on a node is one of those like epiphany moments. You're like, whoa, okay, I can actually do this in a self-sovereign way, in a way that nobody can pretty much stop me. And like, it's just woven into the fabric that is the social consensus of Bitcoin, and it's just beautiful. Like yeah, you have really. nodes that pe the people that are just you and us, like you and me, that can pay, take out a Raspberry Pi and and validate that the Bitcoin network is functioning the way that it should be functioning, and and following the rules that we validate against, and it's just beautiful. Definitely. And you don't even need to be a, like a command line wizard to do this. Now I, I touched on BTC Explorer that comes packaged with all these nodes, that, that piece of software that's in built into your node allows you to do that at the click of a button. There's no commands to, to do anything like that. Even, even Spectre's got it built in. Now you can just hit a button uh, and it'll do the calculations for you. Uh, a couple of minutes later, you'll be spat out with a, an exact number of how many sats there are uh, swimming around the blockchain. The numbers diminishing frequently, or I guess the numbers increasing, but it's uh, diminishing how how you can get your how, hands on it. Yeah, how quickly it's increasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That since we started this podcast, man, it's been pumping. We're at oh really fifty eight fifty eight three now. My block clock just updated. Well, you went for the block clock. Nice. I dude, it was a high time preference purchase. <laughs> was it, it the was Twitter expensive. FOMO? <laughs> It was the Twitter FOMO. I, I saw everybody get one for Christmas and I was like, damn, I need one. I have to get one. He's got a knack for uh, separating Bitcoiners on their Bitcoin, hasn't he? MVK. He's great at it. It took a couple days. It was being a little weird when I first got it. And now it's it's finally kicked in after I restarted my network a couple times. And it's awesome. I honestly, I'm trying, I'm like talking myself out of not buying another one. Just because I'm like, man, I feel like this could be limited. And maybe he's just going to just stop making one one day. And I want to have another one. Maybe, maybe I want to put this it item. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? It's been a great rip. I've enjoyed it. What can we hit? What can we hit? I made a list. I, I get quite a lot of people. Ooh, have you dug into any of the, uh, the DIY hardware wallets yet? I haven't done those. Like no, Spectre. no. 
I haven't, but I do really want to try out Spectre DIY. It looks really cool. And I, I believe it's not as difficult as it looks to put together. I think there's only two or three parts, isn't there? But no, I haven't tried it yet, but it looks very cool. And I think when I do finally give in to the multi-sig hype, which won't be anytime soon, I think that'll be one of the keys that I that I implement into that. But I'm okay, holding well, off on... Oh, wait. This isn't, are you not in, you don't use multi-sync? Oh no, no, I, it's, it's not there yet for me. I get, again, I keep saying it. A lot of people DMing me going, which hardware wallet shall I use? I'm like, look, I, I, I use a cold card. I use Samurai wallet. That's it. I'm probably not the best to advise you on multi-sync. Obviously I, I understand the, the, the basic premise of it and I'm not saying it's more, it isn't more secure than a single SIG. Of course it is. I just. The, most of the people I speak to and that I help um, are obviously new to the space and they listen to podcasts with MVK and people like that are saying multi-sig, you should be using multi everybody use multi-sig and, and I understand where they're coming from but I did a tweet on this the other day that mo more people will fuck themselves out of their sats than will get their sats stolen tenfold. So I'm just a big believer of telling people, including myself, not to... Uh, run before they can walk and that might be somewhat controversial but I just think making shit too complex too quickly is uh, a recipe for disaster in my personal opinion oh I don't think you're wrong by any means I disagree with the people who recommend multi-sig I think you should come to multi like you should come to the decision to use multi-sig yourself not because somebody's telling you to use multi-sig if you're not like it introduces a ton of complexity, even if you're pretty technical and you can screw yourself. And the upgrade in security that you're getting from using it, like you said, like <laughs> it is very small compared to the risk of you losing your losing access to your Bitcoin. Yeah, it's huge. And again, this probably might be controversial to some of the listeners, but for most people that are coming into the space that ask for my help, even if they're putting in a, a good couple of thousand dollars or whatever, I'm just like, just put it on a phone wallet. Everybody's got a phone somewhere in their house that they don't use that is able to connect to the internet. And I, I just tell them, I said, look, if you're not comfortable carrying this around on your main phone every day, just get that old phone out, download this wallet onto it, send your sat into that one, put it in your drawer, back up your phrase, and forget about it and move on. You don't need to be spending two to $500 on the latest hardware wallet that you probably don't know how to use straight away. So I'm just like, look, get some on a mobile wallet, leave it in a drawer somewhere, back up the seed, then start to learn, start to teach yourself, see if this is something that's for you. If you want to buy some more and you see your stash increasing in value or the price starts pumping and you start to feel a little bit uneasy about how much you've got sat on a phone in your drawer, um, then start to look at a hardware wallet. But it's, again, just don't run before you can walk. It's uh, keep things, keep it simple, stupid. For sure. I definitely was not trying to question your not using multi-sig. I was just more surprised than anything. Um, <laughs> I think uh, most people fall into the trap of thinking I'm, I, I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. I have no idea what I'm saying half the time. Somewhat, for some reason, people listen to this show. Ah, oh, it's quality, man. It's quality. Keep up the good work. I, for me personally, just I love it, and I've ha had to start cutting back on podcast uh, time just because there's so many out there now, and they're all fantastic. So I have to be really uh, pick and choose what I spend my time listening to. And yours is definitely one of the ones that I jump on every week. And the one you did with uh, Nadav Cohen, I think it was, was it last week or the week before. That was awesome. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah, about the DLCs and oracles and all of yeah. that. I, look, that speaks I've... to me. That does. I love the protocol stuff. <clears throat> you can see that from what I talk about and what I write about in, in my articles.